Uh, hey, Coach Weber here. Um, I'm really excited today to have a special guest with us. Uh, we got Joey Myers. Joey Myers uh, is the founder of HittingPerformanceLab.com. He was uh, a college baseball player at, at Fresno State, graduated in 2003. And uh, Joey, I was on your site checking out your background, and it seems like, uh, um, well, first off, thanks for coming on. I yeah. really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having and, me. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it seemed like you had kind of an interesting journey uh, after college baseball and then leading into your, your website and kind of getting back into coaching. Can you tell us a little bit about, about all that? Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm doing a blog post this week. It's funny cause I was on Twitter and one of the, one of my buddies on there, Sean Palouf, uh, well, Twitter buddies, I guess he, um, I can't remember his Twitter handle, but if you search his name, um, hitting, it's hitting something, but, um, if you, so I was scrolling on my newsfeed and I saw a video that he had posted. It's one of those revolving GIFs, right? Those uh, GIF images that just loops. And, and I'm, I'm looking at the video and I'm like, that, that's me. And, and I was looking at it and, and I, I, okay, I go, that's gotta be me. And it was, I was, it was me doing an old drill that an old side of mine, swingsmarter.com that's still up. You can go there. And I used to teach the old way. Most of what players who finish their either college or pro careers will go back uh, to teaching what they were taught, which in baseball is, or softball is swinging down on the ball, which is totally debunked. I mean, that's, it's just not what players do on video. Anyway, in this video, I was doing a 2T drill where it was practicing swinging down. And Sean, we posted this video, and apparently, I guess, efastball.com had taken the video and they put their little thing on it. So it's actually, it's actually me in the video. But um, so I was watching this video, and in, the, in the, his headline, he said something like, you know, the wrong way to do it. And I don't think he knew it was me. I don't think he knew it was me. And uh, so I had to take a second look to know it was me. And so I, I retweeted it. I quoted the retweet on my thing. And I said um, something to the effect of, ha, ha, ha. I said, um, boy, these were, this was actually me swinging. And these were the dark times for my hitters. You know? and, and I said, if I can change, so can you. That's basically what I said. So I'm taking that. I took that from last night. And I'm doing a blog post about it now. So a roundabout way of answering your question is, you know, when I played, what I was taught was what I teach now is totally the opposite of what I was taught then. And it just, it just didn't, I found it didn't work with my hitters. It, I, I, my hitters weren't seeing the progress that they see now in a reasonable amount of time, pretty quickly that they see now. Back then it just seemed like we were hitting our heads against the wall at the time, or I was at least trying to get my hitters to get better. Uh, my, my business was stagnating at the time doing local lessons and it just, it just wasn't working out. I, I had bad information that I was teaching my hitters and I feel bad, but you know, you got to start somewhere. And, uh, so it's been such a, such a journey from then, um, in a, in a nutshell, I went from, uh, not learning, not reading anymore, not trying to better myself and, and gain more knowledge to, uh, reading positional hitting by a buddy of mine, Jamie Zavalos. That kind of broke the mold a little bit. I met Chas Pippett from BaseballRebellion.com, and and he started to kind of shake that mold a little bit more, shake me out of that mold. And it wasn't until because I was on, I was doing corrective fitness at the time, which I've been doing for the last 13 plus years, that I started reading the book. My my son was born; he was four and a half now, so I was about four and a half, or well, almost five years ago. <clears throat> I read Thomas Meyer's book, Anatomy Trains, and that rocked my world. Then I read Dynamic Body by Dr. Eric Dalton, and a, and a collaborative 
effort by a bunch of other author, authors that were in the kind of fa springy fascia field and spinal engine stuff. And then Dr. Serge Grakovetsky, he wrote The Spinal Engine. I read that. And then Dr. Kelly Starrett, who owns one of the, I think, the first 100 uh, CrossFits. He has one in it's, uh, San Francisco CrossFit. And he wrote Supple Leopard. So those four books just destroyed my world. And I basically, from that point on, I reverse engineered the swing, basing it on human movement principles that are validated by science, where everything that I learned when I played was all based on philosophy and theory and this person, you know, this major leaguer said that, or this Hall of Famer said that, and it was all duct taped together, and, and just it, again, it did. I, my hitters weren't seeing results. They weren't seeing the results that I got with my own swing, which some players can get away with that up to a point. For me, it ended at college because the swinging down thing um, in college it just wrecked me. It just there was a huge difference in my performance from high school to college with swinging down. So um, that's fast, fast forward to now, I, I do swing experiments. So what's great about technology now is that we're able to take like a zip sensor or a swing tracker or a blast motion sensor, put it on our bat, and it'll, it'll test, it'll show you your bat speed at impact, it'll show your hand speed, show you your, your barrel attack angle, so the path that barrel takes to the ball. And now we can say, all right, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna test, I'm gonna take 100 swings, say, showing my numbers. To the pitcher, which basically is kind of like this, uh, versus 100 swings not showing my numbers, and I and we can take the numbers uh, from the ZEP sensor or whatever the sensor we're using, and we can compare and contrast and see what is better. Is it better to show your numbers versus not, which it actually is by far. And so we're able, able to take technology now, do swing experiments, and actually show some of these old tired conventional dogmas, hitting dogmas, and we can we can disprove them basically. Um, so with technology, combination technology and access to mentors or access to experts in specific fields, we can really do a number on, uh, on the old way of thinking. Yeah, I'm sure there's, you know, baseball is so huge too. I'm sure there's so many, uh, youth coaches, parents that, uh, there's, there's probably so many old methods of teaching or just so much confusion in the baseball world. Um, it's probably, you probably, uh, you probably, you, you have your work cut out for you to kind of take this and, and, and get it in front of as many people and do as much good as you can with it. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's interesting too. when you say that, cause, uh, when you talk about the whole journey you took here, uh, cause when I went from, I, you know, I was a college wrestler and then I went and started coaching high school wrestling. And after a year or two, I didn't teach anything that I did as a wrestler, you know, it, it, not that it was bad, but it just it didn't uh, it didn't cross over to you know developing athletes um, the the stuff that I was doing at a higher level and a lot of it just came down to like you just had to figure out their natural motions it was much easier for them to move naturally than it was to teach them a sequence of steps and techniques and I found that when you you know kind of along the same lines you're you're much more educated and and you've you've definitely dove deeper into it than I did but I, I can see where where that makes a lot of sense. And you know, I, I checked out your site too, and and uh, you've got a ton of ton of information, instruction on there. But you also dive into a lot of the the mental game, um, and that uh, I'm sure 
I see that a lot in baseball and a lot of sport. I mean, every sport, you know, when, as you, as you kind of climb the ladder, it becomes more and more mental. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I see a lot of, a lot of mental stuff on there and a lot of instructional stuff. And what really stood out to me was, um, how well you broke things down. You make it real easy to understand. You know, that's, to me, that's a sign of a good coach, a good instructor is, uh, you know, you take those complex, uh, theories or, or teachings and you kind of strip them down and make it easy to understand. I noticed that right away. Um, but one thing stood out or one thing I got to ask you one thing, you know, we'll talk more about what's on your site and, uh, uh, but the one thing I want to know is what's a sticky coach. So sticky coaching, this, this was a, a concept that I had thrown around. <clears throat> this was back in 2013 or 14. And I felt like kind of one of the, the abilities that I have that I feel like I'm pretty good at and because I've read a lot of material, I've read a lot of very technical material and I have readers, I don't know, maybe monthly, not too many, but they'll, they'll suggest a certain hitting instructor or whoever that I need to read or pitching instructor or whatever that I need to read because they're very technical and you're reinventing the wheel here and I'm like, okay. This is just my journey. That's that's all I can say. You know, this is my journey, and I need to learn it on my own. I I actually took a hiatus from looking and reading other baseball, softball people, whether it's hitting, pitching, whatever. I, I just took a, a big time hiatus. I I really haven't read too many people's stuff in my industry because I need that I need that freshness to go outside and and look at the industry from inside. <clears throat> um, so the. Um, what was the original question again? I had a daddy, daddy moment, young daddy moment. Sticky, sticky, sticky coach. coaching. So the, so what I feel like I can do is, so these readers, they're telling me to go read this person, that person, and you know, I'm reinventing the wheel. But the problem with the people that they suggest is they're, they're not how they present their material, although probably very right. And they're probably much, much smarter than I am. They've read much more than I have and can digest very technical information, they have a hard time relating that to the end user. And that is the problem I think is probably the biggest problem, biggest challenge for most of the people in, in our industry, baseball, softball, or any industry really, is when you get too technical, the coaches don't understand it. And if the coaches don't understand it, that you're reteaching it, you're teaching it to, they're gonna have a hard time reteaching it to their own. It's only gonna be the coaches that are like myself that can take technical and they can they can distill it down to its most simplified version to get the younger hit, hitter in, in my field uh, to understand it. And so I feel like I, I do a pretty good job with that. I'm not perfect, but I feel like uh, versus others that, that try and put stuff out there and they talk about scap rows and all these weird and, you know, internally rotating the pelvis and like, oh man, all this stuff. Like I understand it. Sometimes I got to reread over it or kind of look up a couple terms, but, um, cause I'm not perfect. My, my, but my anatomy and stuff is I didn't take anatomy. I was a crim major when I was grown, when I was uh, in school. So I wasn't even, I just studied this stuff just on my own, just from passionate curiosity. So the sticky coaching kind of comes from that to be able to take information that is validated by science because we really shouldn't be teaching our our athletes anything outside of science uh, pseudoscience it just doesn't work it's just not it looks and walks like a duck but it's just not a duck right um, and so the sticky coaching part is to be able to take information 
teach it to a coach and that coach can reteach it to their kids and um, to their hitters because I don't, I don't need to talk to the players. I don't need to, like, I try not to direct my message to the players. Sometimes, sometimes they are, but very rare. I want to affect more coaches because if I can affect more coaches, I get their players automatically. And, and, and that's the problem. If I try and affect players, the players start doing my stuff, but the coach isn't on board. The, they're they're going to hit a big roadblock. And that coach is what's going to either write them into the lineup or is going to write them on, on event days, going to put them in, you know. So I want to affect the coaches. If we can change the coaches, we can change the players. And, and we can reach more players in that in that sense. So so I, I wrote a book. At the time, it was going to be an online video course, the Sticky Coaching, the Science of Sticky Coaching. Um, it's all about, like, coaching cues and how to talk to players, how not, how to have more of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Uh, your language matters when you talk about how hard the players are working. You praise them for work versus praising them for for uh, or praising them for effort versus praising them for how talented they are or how smart exactly. they are. You know. Yeah, definitely. No, that's very interesting because. I mean, honestly, I mean, if somebody's watching this, listening to this, I didn't know what Sticky Coach was. And I really did feel like looking through your stuff that you were, did a really good job of simplifying things. And you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head um, by saying you got to get to the coaches. You got to, you know, that's, you know, I used to teach, obviously, I, I coached a team and you can only affect so many people when you're coaching one single team. Um, and then I used to go and teach clinics and stuff like that in the off season or in the spring and the summer. And I I would much rather go work with a bunch of coaches than I would with a bunch of kids because you know that you're going to, you're going to affect the masses that way. And that's why I, that's why I started my, the attack style wrestling website I did a couple years ago for that exact reason. You're exactly right. You know, you can really, really make a difference if you're, if you're convincing coaches that are, and, and you're doing a good job. Like you, like you said that where they can actually, um, they understand it and they can teach it as well. So I would, that's, I'm going to have to get that book and check it out. I'd like to, I'd like to read that. That's that. Those are things that I'm really, really interested in. So, so originally I'd reached out to you, um, and asked I, you and, and several other experts and coaches. Um, one question we get, it's, this is kind of a combination of the top two or three things that, that I get the most, uh, the most interest in. And uh, so the question was, do you have one tip to help coaches or parents motivate athletes to commit to training consistently and with intensity without burning them out? So, you know, people are always interested in, you know, how do we get the kids hooked on the sport? How do you get them, you know, dedicated? And then how do you get them to practice hard and, and with intensity and then without burning them out? So, um, and you, you, uh, you came back with a very thorough answer and I'm just going to kind of, uh, give a short summary and what you said and and you you hit some really good points cool, um, so i'm gonna you. let you run with it and kind of explain this and i kind of wanted to point some things out but you basically um you mentioned what you call the minimum effect dosage model which which i like that i like that terminology and uh the idea behind it and you you started off relating it to losing weight curing chronic pain and then moved on to athletic performance. You know, can you expand on that whole philosophy? Sure. Yeah. So I borrowed this from Tim Ferriss. I'm, I'm a big Tim, Tim Ferriss fan for fourhourworkweek.com. And in his book, I think it was the four hour body one. He talked about minimum effective dosage because in the weight loss industry, again, which I kind of started in after college, I started working with fitness clients, both athletes and non-athletes. And most of the non-athletes want to lose weight and the athletes want to put weight on. Right. 
And so usually the putting weight on thing isn't as hard, uh, especially with athletes. It's easier to motivate an athlete or inspire an athlete than it is a non-athlete because you're talking about families and kids and not getting enough sleep and all this stuff. So it's a little bit more challenging to get somebody to lose weight than it is to put weight on. And so in the book that Tim Ferriss talked about, the minimum effective dosage. So whether you're talking about the one exercise that if you do three times a week, it's going to build enough muscles where you start to increase the muscle mass, which helps to increase the amount of fat that you're going to burn in, a, in a, at rest, right? Um, and so with my athletes, I, I thought about that and I was like, you know what? Because I used to teach, well, I want you to do 100 reps, 100 swings a day practicing whatever we're practicing or 200 swings a day practicing whatever we're practicing. And the problem with that was is that most athletes are, you're going to have your athletes that are just, I mean, it takes a little bit. You give them a, an inch and they take, they run a marathon with it. You're going to have uh, your other athletes that are kind of bottom 1% that are going to be like pulling teeth to get them to do anything. And then you're going to have your bell curve, which are going to be, you know, you got to give them enough push or enough motivation, enough inspiration, and they'll, they'll carry it, you know, but you got to kind of keep fueling it. And so with minimum effective dosage, I went away from the one to 200 swings a day to just give me five minutes a day. Be happy with five minutes. Because, and I tell them, I say, school comes first. Above all else, make sure that school comes first. You're doing your homework. You're you know, doing what you need to do, what the teacher wants you to do. That's first. But you're going to have time in between your school. I know a lot of kids play video games. So some kids play hours of video games. Some kids play maybe 30 minutes, more regulated. And I said, hey, you can take and carve out five minutes a day for what we're trying to do. I said, it's, it's not, I mean, if you get, you can do more than five minutes, but what's important is that you get in front of this information more frequently. So, and I, and I pull my hitters, I tell them, I survey them, my local ones, and I ask them, how many days this week did you get? So I, I see them weekly most of the time. So I say, how many days this last week did you get your, your practice, your hitting homework in? And any, anytime I hear three or less and we do our lesson, most of the time we're having to revisit what we just did for a little bit. Some of them will move on to the next thing. Some of them we have to sit and work on what we just worked on the last time. The hitters that usually, and that's about 80% of the time that happens. We have to revisit what we just did. For the hitters that say four days or more, about 80% of the time it's the opposite. So we're moving on from there. We're not forgetting what we just worked on. We're always kind of continuing to, to massage that but we're most of the time we're, we're getting to move on to the next thing and and that's the thing so and that's pulling my my hitters that's not just some number i picked out of the air i mean I, I tell my hitters minimum effective dosage is four to five days a week five minutes each day it's the same thing we do with the weight loss client if they're having a hard time getting on the treadmill every day doing their cardio 20 minutes 30 minutes whatever we tell them give me five minutes a day five day four to five days a week and once they get on the treadmill, they're going to feel good. They're going to do 30 minutes, but it's getting on the treadmill. So if you just say set a timer for five minutes and, and if you're just not feeling like it that day, just do your five minutes and get off and you're done. So that's, that's kind of the, the sense that we talk uh, about the minimum effective dosage and just try to simplify it. And, and again, some players run with it. You know, it's nice when players go from the two to three days a week and then they start getting four and five and they start seeing the benefit of four and five. And it's like they never go back. They never go back. Yep, definitely. And, and that's that's something that uh, I used to talk about this at our practices all the time. I would tell, and, and you pointed out in your, your response to me that these these five minutes are outside of practice time. If they're doing that in practice, doesn't count. 
Um, and that's something I would just try to convince all of my athletes to do. Say, hey, stay after practice five minutes. You know, if you got to work on this, if you're struggling with this, do for five minutes. You know, at the end of a wrestling season, four month season, those five minutes add up to a lot of time and and a lot of development. And um, and I think it's good too. You mentioned uh, when this is a great philosophy, you know, not overwhelming somebody, just give them little baby steps and, and hopefully they develop that internal drive, that kind of fire inside them, then it takes over and they start doing more. Um, that's, you know, that's how you make true gains. And, uh, and then you also mentioned, um, that it's okay. Hey, if you don't, if you miss a day, if you don't, it's, it's okay. You know, you're going to get probably get more out of it if you do more. But, and I think that's important too, especially this it seems like this day and age, you have to, the more somebody commits or you want them to commit, you got to make sure they realize that, hey, there's going to be bad days. You're going to fail at this. You know, you're going to, and instead of, instead of falling completely off, oh, I, I missed a day. I'm not, I'm, the, I'm just going to stop doing this. Just get right back on the horse. You know, just forget about that. And so I thought those are some great points because those, those are what I see, especially with younger athletes. Um, really with anybody, with adults, like you said, trying to lose weight or trying to change any kind of habit, develop a good habit, get rid of a bad habit. That's a, that's a great philosophy. Um, just take those baby steps and, and, uh, shoot, even, even myself, uh, I, anytime I, I get, get, uh, fired up to get on a workout regimen or change something like that at 44 years old. And, uh, I always, I never jump in like I want. I'm like, okay, I'm going to start just working out, doing this workout. Then I'll do the nutrition and then, you know, and just kind of let it snowball like that. So that's a great philosophy. And I also, too, after I sent that response, I've recently been reading a book called Don't Shoot the Dog. So it's not, it's probably the worst title of a book, but um, the author, Karen, uh, what's her name? Uh, Karen something or other, but um, super, super smart gal. And she started off training dogs and horses. And she ended up getting hired on at SeaWorld and started training dolphins. And so it's all based on positive reinforcers, positive and negative reinforcers. So it's behavioral conditioning. And this is a book that was recommended by Tim Ferriss, uh, Tony Robbins, and I think a couple others. And recently I've been, uh, I've been reading through the book. It's kind of tough because I have to actually, it's a book with pages. I, I have a Kindle. It makes it easier yeah, for yeah, me to yeah. read at night. I don't need a, <laughs> a lamp to do it, you know. So um, uh, it's a great book, though. I just got to do it, you know. I got to change the habit and do it. But um, she, she gave, she gave uh, the example, her daughter was in a college, was an adult college class, and the professor was, it was a bunch of professional, uh, professionals in the class, and they had work schedules and stuff, and they were busy. And the professor in the, in the beginning would always give like a, would ask, okay, who did their homework? And, and about a third of the class would, would hand their homework in, and, and then the, the professor would go into a, a 10 to 20 minute dissertation on why you need to do your homework and you need to get this turned in and why, you know, blah, 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 blah. So she was kind of harping on, more ne negative reinforcer, right? And so weeks of this would go, a week or two of this would go by and still the same result. So uh, Karen's daughter, uh, who knew what, you know, Karen had done with her training, went to, uh, went to the professor after one of the classes and said, uh, you know what, why don't you try positive reinforcement? Why don't you, instead of harping on the people who are not turning their homework in, why don't you try um, encouraging the ones that did turn their homework in? So praise them, basically praise them, right? And so about three weeks later, she's praising, praising to change the, change the strategy, and three weeks later, three quarters of the class were turning their homework in. Really? Nice. How about that? Yeah. 
positive reinforcement. Yeah. So, so again, instead of, and, and I was doing this with my hitters, you know, I'd give them the dissertation, I'd, we'd do the talk. If they only had two or three days of their hitting homework in on their own at home, not at practice. And uh, so now I'm starting to, so we'll see, I just started this last week or two where if they get two or three days in, I, I, I praise them. I say, Hey, you got two or three days in. So I said, imagine what happens when you get four or five. You know, so instead yeah, of yeah, no. giving them the dissertation saying, praising them for the days they did get in. Because some of them, you know, like this last week, one of my hitters, he only got two days in, but his mom's been in the hospital. She had surgery and then had some complications. So, you know, those are those are tough things. Those are tough things mentally for for a, a young kid, this kid's 10, to, to be able to get over that. So I praised him. I said, hey, you had a tough week. You had a really tough week with mom and how, what, what's going on with mom. But I said, hey, you got two days in, man, two or three days in. So I said, when the dust settles, mom's okay, everything's good. You know, imagine what happens when you get four or five. So we'll start doing that. We'll, you know, I can report back after three or four weeks on how that went. But uh, positive reinforcement, <laughs> positive reinforcement. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I had to, uh, kind of along the same lines, as as a wrestling coach, uh, you know, one of the biggest frustrations, uh, you got to manage everybody's weight. They all got to make weight classes. So there, you know, you got to kind of guide them all and say, oh, you got to, you know, tell them what weight to come in at roughly every day. And, you know, they don't, these are teenagers, they don't always stick to it. So there was, in my younger days as a coach, you know, you would come in and somebody would come in way off the mark. And I would see that and that would just set the tone for the speech before practice. And I realized pretty soon, I'm like, I can't be beating up all these kids because one kid comes in overweight. And uh, so then I started telling my, I had my assistant, I told my assistant, you're going to take the weights, don't even show them to me till after practice. And then, you know, then you come in and you can be positive, you got your speech set for the day and, and, and everything starts out good. So uh, you got to realize that. And especially, you know, I think uh, that's kind of an old school mentality, the, the kind of beat them in the ground and, and, and it doesn't work as well anymore. Maybe back when I was, when I was younger, people could get on me pretty good and I, and I would respond. But, you know, even back then there, you, you saw the good coaches treat each athlete a little bit different depending on what they needed. But, uh, and I think that's a, a good overarching philosophy, um, especially with geez, the amount of burnout and the amount of, uh, young kids that are, have a ton of potential and end up quitting by the time they get to high school or, or middle school. Um, and that's kind of leads into one last thing I kind of wanted to pick your brain on. You know, you've been, you know, you grew up playing baseball, played baseball in college, um, kind of have gone through uh, your, your growing pains and everything and, and end up back coaching again. Now working with kids, um, if you had and, and this is like I said, this is one thing I talked to a lot of baseball people and, you know, youth baseball is so wide open. There's so many kids in there and there's but. The people like you, the guys out there coaching, trying to, you know, tap the most potential and, ha- and make sure that everybody's having good experiences. Um, the one thing they always talk about is so many kids from the youth level um, leaving by the time they get to high school. Um, if you got, you know, one piece of advice for parents, coaches, athletes, anything, you know, one thing that stands out more than anything, what would you say to, to kind of alleviate that? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one, and, and there's a lot of different ways you can go there. I think, I think the, and it, on both sides, you know, I look at both sides and, and I post stuff to my, my Facebook page and it, a lot of it with a positive, positive coaching Alliance, the positive coach.org. I, I think they're a great organization, very, I very much support what they do. 
and I'll post something about you know how to deal with a, a tough coach or um, something like that, and I'll get both sides. You know, maybe maybe it's a player that's been kind of being bullied by a coach, what they call bullying, where he's he's not playing and, and whatever. And I've had I've had hitters that have been bullied by coaches, great kids, great students. They're uh, I think they're they're challenges that they're too quiet and they're too nice and they don't like to rock the boat they don't like confrontation and things like that and and i always encourage my high school athletes and and depending on the athlete junior high depending on the athlete i'll, I'll encourage them to to go talk to coach if there's an issue uh, playing time or whatever it is um and and this is this is kind of what what my advice is but um kind of roundabout way but the it's, it's the ability for the kid, and of course the 12 U's, any kid under 12 years old, the parents should be fighting that battle. I mean, the kid's a little too young to be confronting a 40-year-old male or 40-year-old female or whatever and talking about playing time. Um, but the parent has to be a little bit more reserved in, in how they do it, be more constructive. So there's a fragile line between players talking to coaches and what they need to say if there's something like playing time that's in question or like in the case of what I teach, what I teach is it's growing, it's getting better, but it's still like peeing in the ocean. It's, it, it, we still got a long ways to go. And I teach, what I teach is absolutely backwards, at least what coaches tell me, local coaches or parents tell me that the local coaches tell them about what I teach is completely backwards of what they teach. And, and that's a problem. That can be a big problem. We have a high school here locally that uh, just recently said they don't want to hear my name out of their practices. <laughs> and, and, and that's weird to me because I don't the, the amount of bad mouthing I do to coaching is what I'm telling you right now. I, I tell it like it is. All the coaches, all the coaches I, I respect, I know they've either been my assistant coaches, I played with them, I'm good friends with them. I just disagree I disagree what they teach hitting wise. And I, and I don't do it in a in a bad way. I just say it's backwards, you could get more out of your hitters, you know, that's about the extent of what I do. I'm not a I'm not a bad guy. You can you can uh, pull any of my readers you could pull and you're not going to get them for that kind of a comment to be thrown my way is like it got me like raising my eyebrows and it gets all my parents to raise their eyebrows because they're like where did that come from did you say something about his mama or something you know <laughs> and so but that is a problem because what they're learning from me is is validated by science human movement principles validated by science so when I hear things like that from coaches, it just tells me that they're they're not out there learning new stuff. They're not out there trying to reinvent themselves and, and kind of asking questions. And so that is the major challenge. So how do you how does a parent, how does a player approach a coach that is is totally off, like, no, 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 we're not doing it this way. And what I tell them is I say, especially, you know, I tell them the worst case scenario where you got a coach is like, don't say your, you know, his name out here, I don't want to hear it, blah, blah, blah is we, we tell our players to the bobblehead. So coach will come up and say, okay, Johnny, what are you doing there with your hand? And then they'll say, I, I've just been working on it with my coach or I've just been working. And the coach will say, no, 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 do it like this. You know, we, we tell our players to go, okay, coach, okay. You know, show them respect, say, okay, okay. You know, and do it that way. And, and in my training, what we do, part of the sticky coaching is we practice the wrong way and we practice the right way. We'll do both because I want them to know how to do both so that they can, so they know when they do a swing that is bad, that they know what they did is bad. And uh, my little one's pounding on the thing. Um, <laughs> so that's what happens when you work from home. Um, and so um, she broke my rhythm. So you, so when when you have uh, a coach that is 
totally against what you're doing. The bobblehead, they do the bobblehead, and then they, uh, as the coach turns around and goes to the next player, they go back to what we're doing. So <laughs> as long as the coach isn't watching, they're going back to what we're doing. Because, you know, as a coach, when you've got a team of guys or a team of gals, you can't pay attention to everybody. I mean, your attention is on the person you're looking at or maybe the two athletes you're looking at. But once you turn the back, go back to what we're doing. Because I, I tell them, I say, um, I tell them how. I always ask them after our lessons, our local lessons. I say, are there any questions on how to do this, why to do this, why you're doing this, and uh, what you're doing? Like how you're, how you're going to do it at home, what you're doing, like what we're doing today, and then why you're doing it. So they need to know the why, the why behind. Okay, what's the benefit mm -hmm. of this? So as long as they know those three things, then the coach that comes and tells them to do the complete opposite, then their brain's not going to go, ooh, uh, which, way yeah, is right? was, yeah. which way is right? Like they understand that our way is more effective. Plus, they at that point, they've seen the benefit of doing it that way. Like they, they've gotten better outcomes. And so that's another kind of solidifies what we're trying to do. And and then they just have to be play the politician. They just do what the coach tells them to do as they're there with them. It's okay. It's okay to do that. Don't say, no, Joey Myers told me not to do it this way. You know, I said, that's the fastest way to get yourself on the bench and the coach hating me. And so, you know, that's a lose-lose for everybody. So we want to make sure that you play the politician because in life, I mean, I always try and circle this to life, always with my hitters. You know, this is this sport, any sport, is about transference. They're learning lessons in sport that they will apply later in life. Whenever that end time is for wrestling or baseball or track or whatever, whenever that end time is and they have to go into the professional world, they're going to deal with coworkers. They're going to deal with bosses. They're going to deal with, if they're business owners, they're going to deal with other business owners that are going to say some weird things, but maybe you need their business. So you have to be able to be that politician in, in that, um, in that scenario. So, um, so yeah, with parents, you have to be the politician. You can't just go off the, you can't blow off your steam, uh, because it just hurts everybody. It hurts everybody in the process. So you have to do, you have to be political, a little political, uh, when you go about trying to solve a problem that you really don't know the answers. A lot of times coaches will be very general with their responses and you, it'll leave you raising your eyebrows and you won't know why exactly what their motivation is for not playing Johnny, you know? So you kind of have to try and get to the root of that, but do it in a, in a nice way, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the worst thing you can have is a confused athlete um, that doesn't, you know, that could be coming from multiple coaches, a coach and a parent, uh, you know, everybody's kind of got to be on, the same page ideally everybody's on the same page and and i and i've had those issues within my own program where you have a youth coach um that uh decides they don't want to you know ideally when i was a high school coach you know the the middle school coach was teaching a scaled down version of what i was teaching and then the youth was and everybody was funneling up so they knew what they were doing when they got to me but um the, even I had that within my own program sometimes, and you had to, and you have to do, and you got to know how to deal with that stuff. Um, but it, baseball is even another beast because it can be so political, you know. And 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 on a wrestling team, you can go have wrestle offs, and you go whoop some the other guy. Well, you're the starter, you know, as long as everything you're doing everything right. Um, but baseball, yeah, like you said, you, you could get benched, and you don't really have they have any clue why you're getting benched, um, and it could just be, you know, personal personal issues there so you yeah that's that's i'm i'm sure uh in in the competitive arena of baseball and youth baseball um they especially the parents they really need to know how to handle the coach so that they don't get uh get the conflict there that might 
you know, hurt their, hold their kid back or hurt him. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's like you, you kind of started the conversation saying, you know, you need to kind of communicate too as much as you can. Um, but I think it sounds like, sounds like the scenario you were talking about is kind of one of the worst case scenarios where somebody just says, I don't even want to hear their name. Um, and I see, I've seen the same thing. You get people that, um, kind of want to be the man and want, uh, their, their word to be the final word and they don't want to hear it. And, um, and that, uh, that's something you got to deal with in sports. And I think that's good advice. You know, like yeah. you said, it crosses over to life. Yeah. And I, and I had a, uh, this summer I had a, a gal, she's a junior at Fresno state softball player. So it's her third year. And, um, so she wanted to intern for me. She's a business major at Fresno state this summer. So we did, we did, we did a little bit of business stuff, but more of she, she got to sit in on my lesson. She wanted to learn hitting. She wanted to be able to hit because she's a left-handed hitter and in softball, uh, lefties tend to, that are somewhat fast, tend to get turned into slap hitters. Meaning they, they're the ones that kind of, uh, if you're familiar with baseball, uh, Ichiro kind of has a slap type of swing where, you know, they, they're, they're kind of on a run as they're hitting it and trying to put it in a hole to, to like a hit and run type of thing. So her mm-hmm. whole life up through high school, she was taught to slap. She was recruited at to Fresno State as a slap hitter. She came in, that coach ended up going someplace else after the first year, so they got a new coaching staff. And that new coaching staff told her, well, we aren't slapping here anymore. So we gotta, you gotta learn how to drive the ball. She didn't know how to do that. So that's where she was looking for me. And so we got together this summer. And so she gave me, you know, we spent a lot of time together. She was helping me out with a lot of my lessons this summer. And then I worked with her probably about a half dozen times, like one-on-one throughout the summer. And uh, so we did a lot of talking and, and she was trying to open up conversation with her hitting coach. And her hitting coach was an ex-pro guy. He had played a couple years in the professional leagues and he was completely backwards. Uh, same thing, you know, the same story pretty much through most of the coaches here locally and, uh, you know, multiplied by... 10 in the, in the nation. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably 95% or 90%. And so uh, she had some conversations with them, kind of opening up that conversation of, okay, why, why swing down? Why don't move the back foot? Why, you know, all these different things. And so some of the answers she would report back to me and you know, raise, we're both raising our eyebrows. Like, what is he, you know, I asked her, did he give you a why? Did he, you know, oh, it's just because, you know, she'd say, oh, it's just because this is what I was taught. You know, that's what he would say, and uh, which is the common answer for younger players that have just gotten out of playing and they're getting into coaching. You know, that's what right. I did. I did the same thing. Right. And so uh, so the beginning of the summer, her, her ball exit speed, which is the speed the ball comes off the bat, was, I think, between 62 and 65 miles an hour, which is pretty good for softball because they're hitting a bigger ball. They're playing in a smaller park. But uh, for every... Um, one mile per hour ball exit speed, you get four feet of distance. So to find out how far you could hit the ball, you multiply that in number by, by four. So if she, say 60, I'm not a math major, so I always like round numbers, but say 60 <laughs> times four, 240 feet. So with the right launch angle, so the right angle that ball takes off, off the bat, at 60 miles an hour, she can hit that ball 240 feet. So that's a home run for her. 220 is their home run fence, right? Okay. So that was at the beginning of the summer before she was sitting on and helped me out with lessons and me working with her. At the end of the summer, again, minimal time with her, but she was just taking notes during my lessons and stuff as she was helping in between helping. At the end of the summer, she ended up, she was between 68 and 75. So if you just take 70, right? 70 times four, 280. Yeah. 280 foot shot in a softball field makes that softball field look like a Cracker Jack box. 
And <laughs> so fast forward, so this is after, so she went back to school, uh, they started their fall ball training. And so she's kind of been reporting back to me and updating me on how everything's going with her coach. Cause I told her, I was so proud of her. I said, I'm so proud of you. You've done so much work this summer, working on your swing every day. She was doing every day. Uh, cause you had nothing else to do, uh, except for helping me out and stuff. But uh, she worked every day, really made some major improvements. I go, your biggest challenge is going to be dealing with your hitting coach, you know, on him unwinding what we've already done. And we talked about all the stuff we've talked about in this video on, um, you know, being a politician and, and being good about talking to coach and, and things like that. And so she texts back. She said, we, we took batting practice today for the first time on the field. I hit four out. And that was different for her. That was different. That's not normal for her. She had four right, months right. out during batting practice. So I was like, oh man, that's awesome. And I said, what did coach say? And, and she said, well, he told me that whatever you're doing, keep doing what you're doing. I said, that's, a, that's huge. That's huge. <laughs> and, uh, and then the second thing he said, he was half joking, but he goes, uh, you know, you've been, did you take PEDs this summer? You know? And I said... <laughs> There's second thumb up right there, right? Because he's noticing a huge change. And so yeah, the yeah, next yeah. challenge was, well, I'm excited to see what happens during an inter-squad game, inter-squad game. So they had an inter-squad game, I think, a week or two ago on a Monday morning, and uh, she ended up hitting two triples. One of them, she pulled down the right field line. She's a lefty. She pulled down the right field line, which her coach, because of last year, her head coach, was shifting the outfield over towards the other side, you know, the left side of the diamond, shifting right. everybody right. to the other side because she normally slapped the ball, she hits it the other way. Yeah. And so she actually pulled one down the line. So she's raising eyebrows as she's doing what she's doing. And that's at a higher level, you know. Right. Because um, people right. expect at the D1 college level or even at the professional level that a lot of this junk clears up. That, you know, they aren't teaching swing down up there. They are. They are. I got a pro guys who's gonna who's going uh, finish his second year in the Texas Rangers organization in in Long A, and it's up there too. It's up there too in professional ranks. It's in major league ball, you know. So you, you have to yeah you have to be careful. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Well, the results, uh, you know, they they speak louder than any philosophies or anything like that. Um, so so yeah. Um, do you what uh, you got anything? So you got a big a blog you're putting together. Anything else uh, coming up uh, as far as the website or or anything like that? Any anything big coming up? Um, so I'm I'm switching up my software over. It's the same software, but they're they're sunsetting their old version, like their 1.0, and so going into 2.0. So I'm I'm I didn't want I didn't expect that to be on my plate. So I'm having to switch a bunch of stuff over. I'm almost done with that. So. Uh, nothing's really going to change. It's, uh, maybe a little bit better mobile friendly and whatnot. Uh, but I did. I, I had the books that I published this year were actually a pretty good response from, especially the the catapult loading system book, the book on on the power. Um, I created an audio book, so I turned that into an audio book, and I, I did. I got that done a little late, like more July, June, July. So we'll see how that does on this summer for those that don't, you know, those coaches that don't really read they're in the car a lot so it's easier to read uh, listen to a yeah, book. Yeah. um so that that's pretty much what's going on uh, projects wise i want to start doing like kind of what you're doing a lot more interviews i've done a few already i think they're easier to 
to get up and, and, and get in front of people. I have a, a laundry list of people that I think would be really good to, to ask questions to. And I want to go outside the field. I don't want to just stay within baseball, softball. Like what we're doing here, you know, we're two coaches from different sports. And yep. we can speak the same language because we're, we're, we're teaching kids. You know, we're teaching athletes. Yep. So, um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to start somewhat of a maybe a, I might make it official podcast or something like that. Um, but it's just it's just getting the information out there. I do a, a blog post every week. I try and do one every week. I'll, I'll miss every once in a while occasionally if I got too much going on. But um, there's always new content every week. Uh, I'm always putting new content on my Facebook and Twitter. And um, those are the uh, Facebook I'm on quite a bit. Twitter, Twitter too. So those are the two main ones. I have Instagram. I have, um, you know, if I do a video, I put that up on YouTube. Uh, but that's pretty much where people, it's just information, just want people to get yeah. educated out there, yeah. to be open-minded, to have more of a growth mindset for coaches. Because if you got a fixed mindset, you're going to have a hard time. I mean, I was fixed at one point and it, you don't let information in. And, and so, you know, my big thing, my, my big ask for coaches is to just to be open-minded and think about, you know, ask questions, uh, question what you've learned, what you've been taught and, and try and find different people like you and if it's wrestling or I mean really any co coach um, that is doing great things with their their athletes asking those questions you know how what what are the top two mistakes you know that coaches can make with with athletes? you know those kind of questions need to get asked I think because we're just we're all just being too stuck I think in in our thinking yeah and in this day and age you have access to so many experts out there through through the internet and i mean it's easy to get confused i think a good uh measuring stick is to find somebody that can relate things um so you understand them like you're like we've talked about like you're doing and uh you know anybody that's listening to this obviously if you're trying to get better at hitting i i recommend getting over to to your site uh hittingperformancelab.com and even anybody outside of baseball like i said i I went over and looked around, and there was some great stuff on the mental side. Obviously, you got that book that I think uh, it sounds very interesting on just being able to the, the sticky coach book. Um, so, anybody listen, I, I highly recommend getting over. And there's great stuff on this interview. I really appreciate you jumping on, Joey. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Coach Darrell. I appreciate you asking me on. And, and anytime you need, you want me to come on, I would love to. This is the stuff I like. Again, when we're talking with coaches. I think coaches yep. are the way, and that's how we're going to influence the players. Because if it's just the players, you're going to have these coaches that you know don't mention you know his name out here, <laughs> and the players going to have a hard time. And I have three or four hitters in that high school, and, and they found me after this fact, and I told them all. I said, I'm warning you, this is what's going on over there. So you need to be very careful with what you say and the questions they ask, and. You know, at times we'll try and any kind of mechanical thing that they totally disagree with that they can see, uh, they can see you doing. We're going to try and camouflage it. But you know, those are the <laughs> things. Why, we, it shouldn't have to be this way, right? I mean, yeah, that's a whole, not, that's a whole not other level it's of teaching. Me, it's the information, right? So it's the right information getting to these hitters, and I'm helping their teams. This information is helping their team score more runs. So I, I'm, I'm like, what are they? Is it? it it's like you said earlier. It's got to be an yeah. ego thing, right? The 40-year-old male ego is so fragile. One of my buddies <laughs> told me that, and I was like, that is so true. And it's not just 40-year-old. You know, you got 50s yeah. and 55. Sometimes the older they are, the the more fragile yeah. the ego, right? But, um, but yeah, so anyway, I, I appreciate the time on, and, and anytime you need, you, you want to have a – and I would love to have you on at some point. Yeah, when, when I get same here. Going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate it, Joey. That was yep. good. A lot of good, a lot of good content there. Um,